Hello? Good to see you guys. Tonight, we're continuing our series, Made for More. And we're going to talk about the topic tonight of who should we date. Now, we're going to kind of expand on this topics on this topic in later weeks. But I kind of want to start out with, I wasn't exactly clear on this, but I want to start out with kind of like a little bit of a rant here at the beginning about evangelism, the importance of evangelism. Matthew chapter 28 Verse 19 through 20, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus' last uh, like big commission, big commandment that he gives his followers before he ascends to be at the right hand of the Father, he tells them, Go make disciples of all the nations. Go Tell people about me. Tell people about the gospel. Tell people about how they can be saved. Their life can be transformed by the power of the cross. So that's the mission that he has given us. But I think oftentimes when, when we share the gospel, the gospel that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 6. When we share that truth, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, which is what he claimed to be, what people hear is, well, Jesus is the only way to heaven. What I'm hearing is Christians are better than everybody else. I think that's kind of what they hear. But that's not true. And that's not what that means. Like the Bible doesn't say that Christians are better than everyone else. It, it doesn't say that. We're not better. We're not more righteous than other people. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. And so if somebody goes to heaven and somebody else doesn't, it's not because that person was better than the other person. It's because they trusted in their Savior who was good enough for them. So that's the key difference. But tonight, we're not talking about who we should evangelize to, which is everyone, right? Who should we show the love of God to? Well, that's everyone. Who are the kinds of people that we should be friends with? That's everyone. Believers, non-believers, people of all walks of life. I was very clear on that, and we talk about this thing called oikos, right, which is our friends or family members that are non-believers that we try to reach out with the gospel. But tonight, we're not going to talk about who we should evangelize to or who we should love. We're going to talk about the kind of person specifically that we should date, that we should seek a romantic kind of love with. So later on, we're going to be more specific. We're going to have a message on what does it look like to be a man of God? What does it look like to be a woman of God? And what are the attributes here that we should either strive to be or strive to look for in a spouse? But today, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about the importance of having a shared faith with your spouse. So we're starting out in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 15. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what accord has Christ with Belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? The first point that we're talking about tonight is that who you date and who you marry will determine where you go. Who you date and who you marry will determine where you go. Paul starts out right here by saying, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So, do you guys know what a yoke is? Mark knows what a yoke is. What's a yoke, Mark? A yoke is 
from an egg. No, no, no. The Y O K E. Yolk. What's a yolk? It's the thing they put on like a bowl or something back and they like carry stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Let's, let's look at the picture right here. So a yolk looks like this. What a yolk does is those little holes there, that's where animals' heads go. And animals are pulling a plow on the farm. And so you guys have probably seen something like this. Two animals, they're pulling a plow, they got their heads in the thing, and, and they're yoked, they're tied together. And Paul is giving us an illustration, you know, in, in our relationships, in dating and marriage, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. When two animals are yoked together, the two, in a way, become one, right? They're stuck together. If one animal, like, is, like, pulling his head over here, the other animal is kind of going with it, right? You guys ever done that game where it's, like, you know, you're, you tie your feet together and you're, like, doing the race? I don't know what it's called. Three-leg race? Yeah. It's like that. And so they're yoked together. They're tied together. The two have become one. And they're determining where the other one goes. Now, the other one may be stronger than the other. One may be able to pull them one direction a little more. But even if the other one is resisting, it's still going to slow the other one down from getting to where they want to go, right? Because they're tied together. They're yoked together. In the same way, in marriage, the Bible says that we talked about last week, two become one flesh. We are yoked together. We are tied together. Who we date, who we marry will determine the direction that we head or the speed that we head in that direction in our lives. So Paul, he starts out saying, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then he kind of gives some examples of what this looks like. The first thing that he says is what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? So he's comparing righteousness and lawlessness. We know that we've been made righteous by what Jesus has done, right? Christians aren't righteous because they're better than um, people that are Buddhist. Christians aren't righteous because they're better than atheists. They're righteous because they trust in what Jesus has done for them. And anybody else can trust in what Jesus has done for them. And that's where our righteousness comes from, not from ourselves. So we are made righteous by what Jesus has done for us. We're given a new heart. We're given a new desire to live righteously, live holy lives for him that we didn't have before. Before we were lawless. Before we had no desire to follow God's righteous design for our lives. So Paul is saying, how can two people with two different desires for their life be equally yoked, be heading in the same direction? If one person desires righteousness and one person desires what Jesus has to offer them and one person desires what lawlessness has to offer them, how can these people be equally yoked or have a good partnership? He says, what fellowship has light with darkness. I think one of the first things you learn, you know, as a little kid is like darkness and light are different, right? That's, that's one of the first things that you learn. You, a lot of kids are kind of scared of the dark. How many of you guys, when you're little, you're a little bit scared of the dark? Just a little bit. Okay. Most of us probably were, right? We know the difference between darkness and light, and there's something about light that gives us comfort, that gives us peace compared to darkness. Because darkness is uncertain. In darkness, you can't see where you're going, right? This is an illustration of the gospel that we see all throughout Scripture. Darkness and light. Before we come to Christ, we are in darkness. 
The Bible says that he has brought us out of our darkness and into his marvelous light. So God's light stepped into our darkness and changed our life. And what Paul is saying, how is someone, if someone is in darkness, if they haven't seen the light yet, if God's light has not stepped into their life, they haven't been changed in that way, how is someone who is in darkness and someone who is in light be equally yoked? Be going in the same direction together. It's like you're running a race while you're being tied to someone who's blindfolded. It's not that easy, right? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 through 19 says, But the path of righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Darkness and light. Then he says, What accord has Christ with Belial. Everybody say Belial. 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 When I first saw Belial, I was like, what is that? I thought it was kind of like maybe a false idol, like the god of food or like, you know, belly, Belial. I have no idea. So Belial, I looked it up and I found out. Can we actually, never mind the, the verses back there. Belial is actually an ancient name that was used to describe Satan, Lucifer, the devil. That's who Belial is. It's the devil. And so, hold on. You guys might be like, okay, Paul is comparing non-believers to believers, and he's equating that with comparing Christ to the devil. That sounds like extreme, right? That sounds pretty extreme. That's not a good evangelist strategy to be like, you're the devil. Okay, I don't think that's that's exactly what Paul is, is saying here, but he's saying that we're walking not in God's path, but in a different path. Like before you became a Christian, you didn't go God's way. You went Satan's way, right? You didn't go God's way. You went Satan's way. And going Satan's way doesn't look like uh, you start like doing weird stuff like, you know, getting tattoos of upside down stars and like sacrificing pigs in your backyard, right? It doesn't have to be something crazy like that. Going Satan's way is really just going not God's way. And that's something that we have all done. And he's saying, what accord, what, what partnership is there if someone is going Christ's way and someone is going Satan's way? What partnership does Satan have with Christ? Does Christ have with Satan? And so it's not messed up to say like, yeah, if we're an unbeliever, we're going Satan's way. What's messed up is if we look at unbelievers and say they're going a satanic way, but then we look down on them for that like we're better than because we're not. Because we went that way too. We went that way too. And sometimes we do drift that way as well, even after becoming believers. Coming to Christ doesn't show us how good we are, but it actually kind of shows us how bad we are and how good he is to give us grace, to give us salvation and life transformation. And we should desire that same thing for others. And so he gives these opposites about being equally yoked. He says, um, Righteousness and lawlessness, darkness and light, Christ and Belial, Christ and Satan. And then he summarizes it with this question. He says, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? He's saying, what do they have in common that will be helpful to both of them? Now, you can have some, some things in common with someone who doesn't follow Jesus, right? You guys could like the same movies. Uh, you could have the same sense of humor. You could like to go hiking or go to the beach, but 
if you don't have the most important things in your life and the most important things about who you are in common with the person, then you're not setting yourself up for a successful long-term relationship with that person. Two weeks ago, we talked about how our identity is founded in Christ. When we become a new believer, we become a new creation, and our identity is in Him. That is the foundation for who we are. That's the most important part about who we are. Jesus isn't this thing that's like, okay, I play this sport, I go to this school, and I'm also a Christian. No, Jesus, is like that's like our foundation. We're not like a, an athlete who is a Christian. We're a Christian who is an athlete. We're a Christian who is a son, a Christian who is a daughter, a Christian who is a, a student, all these different things. Christ is our identity before everything else. The Bible says that's the most important part about who we are, who God made us to be in him. And in the short term, if this is your foundation, and it's not the foundation of who you're dating in the short term, maybe in a couple years of dating, you can get by, but long term, there are consequences to that. How can you have a happy, long-term, committed marriage if you cannot share the most important part of your identity with someone? How can you do that? I want to show you guys this picture. So with the yokes, so we see a couple of examples here. So these are some, you know, I don't know, I guess they're bulls, right? They're equally yoked. They're, they're on one mission, okay? They're on one mission together. They're, they're striving together. They're going the same way, right? And then in this other example, we see like this one dude's just chilling. This is like your group projects at school, right? You're like, I'm doing all the work here, man. Like, what the heck? So this one bull is just on the ground chilling. That kid's like, hey, what's up? This one bull is on the ground just chilling, and the other one's like, come on, man. I want to go this way. This is what it looks like to be equally yoked. This is what it looks like to be not equally yoked. This is the illustration that the Bible is giving us when it talks about when a committed believer, a follower of Jesus is trying to unite themselves with someone that isn't going to follow Jesus. It's not going to be good for you guys. Here's what this looks like. Here's what, let's leave the picture up there, Ronnie. Let's look at this picture. Here's what being unequally yoked looks like as time goes on. Maybe at first it's fine. At first, you got all that stuff in common. You go on the fun dates. You got the movies you like, and whatever that may be for you. But as time goes on, say someday you even get married, you want to be in a long-term committed marriage relationship. As time goes on, it looks like this: you're going to church by yourself every Sunday morning. Your husband or wife doesn't want to go with you. You want to teach your kids how to follow Jesus, but your spouse doesn't care about that. You want to bring your kids to church, but your spouse doesn't really want you to do that. Or your spouse says it's okay for them to stay home and, and watch TV or do this or that thing instead. You want to give money to mission trips and helping others, but your spouse says, no, let's disagree. Let, let's buy this thing over here instead. You want to instill Christ-like values into your home, but your spouse has a different value system than you. They don't have a biblical value system because they don't know Jesus. And this picture of being unequally yoked, this isn't just, I think, talking about like a believer and an unbeliever. This could be a believer and someone who says they're a believer. Someone who says they follow Christ, but they actually don't care that much about it. Someone who says they want to be committed to God, 
You know, girls, if, it, if a guy says he wants to be committed to you and committed to God and all that stuff, but, like, you're the one that's always having to tell him to read his Bible, like, does he really care? Right? So it's not just a believer and an unbeliever. It could be a believer and a fake Christian. It could be a believer and a really immature Christian that's not going to help lead your family in the right way, not going to want to raise your kids to follow Jesus. You got to ask yourself these questions that, you know, when you're getting to know people, do they serve others? Do they put others before themselves? Do they serve the church? Do they read their Bible and pray and pursue God without you telling them to? Do they actually desire those things for themselves? Do they live a righteous lifestyle? Do they care about following Jesus, but do they also care about seeing other people be saved as well, right? Because if you don't want to see other people saved, then you're not really a Christian because that's what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus said, go make disciples. So if we're following Jesus, we're going to do what Jesus tells us to do. And so you got to ask these kind of questions like, do they care? And it's not, you know, don't look at this like you're, you're judging a person. Like we're talking about you're making the biggest decision of your life. Who are you going to be tied to for the rest of your life? You want to be able to ask these honest questions about who they are. This is going to be the father or mother to your children. So again, I'm not saying that unbelievers are worse people than believers. All of sin and fall short. But unbelievers and believers are just going in different directions. And if you put that on a yoke, the marriage is the yoke that makes the two become one. And that can lead to some serious consequences later on in life. Because as the years go on and the charm fades and the the fun things that you had in common don't seem to matter as much as time went on. You are growing in your faith. You're trying to go in this direction and grow in your faith, but they still don't know Jesus. And you're left in, in a way with a broken marriage because you're not united on the most important thing in your life. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18, uh, 16 through 18 says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So in a way, it's like, you know, the temple of God and idols, right? The temple of God is for worshiping God, not for worshiping idols. You've you got to worship the same God. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I want to give you guys a little bit of context here. God is telling the Israelite people, as he does many, many times in the Old Testament, to be separate from the other other nations. Many times he tells them, don't marry, don't take wives from these other nations. Why? Because of their race? No. It's not a race issue. It's because of religion. Because every time the Israelites would would make, you know, be united in marriage to these other nations, these other nations would bring their idols over, and the Israelites would turn to be worshiping these idols instead of worshiping the one true God. So that's the context there when God's saying, go out, be separate from them. In this context. The point here is this your spouse? Let's get it. your spouse is your mission partner, not your mission field. Your spouse is your mission partner, not your mission field. 
The world is a mission field. We are missionary. If you're a Christian, like you're a missionary. You have a mission, right? You have a mission to follow Jesus and make his name known. And your spouse, it's a blessing to have your spouse be your mission partner in that. And if your spouse is not your mission partner in that, if your spouse is actually your mission field, then that can actually be a major discouragement for you. Let me give you an example. Brianna uh, was an EMT, and that was not an easy job for her. You know, being an EMT late night sometimes from like, work from like 6 p.m. to like 3 a.m. or whatever, and she'd be basically stuck in the car with another person driving around, driving people around till three in the morning. And so a lot of the people that she worked with weren't believers, and it's good for her to have been around unbelievers, right? And so she had some great gospel conversations with these people, but over time, like, she just felt really discouraged by the way that they talked about God and, and things like that. It was, it was discouraging to her. And sometimes it, the world is, feels discouraging to us, right? But imagine if Brianna had to come home from that mission field, from people that don't care at all about God and think all kinds of things about Christians and things like that. Imagine if she had to come home from that to a husband who also wasn't a Christian and a husband who also didn't care about following Jesus. That wouldn't help her, right? Because then her home also is her mission field. Her home is also that place where she doesn't feel completely safe to fully be exactly who she is in Christ. But I'm a Christian, so she didn't have that, right? But I'm saying, that's why it's so important for your spouse to be your mission partner, not your mission field. Your home needs to be a safe place. You, you, when you're married to someone, you're with them for life. Your home needs to be a safe place where you escape from the mission field to find rest and peace with your spouse. But what does it look like to have a mission partner? When you have a mission partner, you have a united pursuit of God in living for him. And it's an amazing thing, you guys. It's an amazing, I love having a mission partner. My wife, Brianna, she's the best mission partner that I could ever want. We're on a mission together. We have different jobs. We have different roles to play, right? She's a wife. I'm a husband. Uh, someday she'll be a mother. I'll be a father, right? We have different roles to play. We have different jobs and careers pursuing. She's pursuing a career in the medical field as a physician assistant. I'm obviously you know, working in the church. So we do different things. We have different personal goals, but we have one mission together. We are moving in one direction together, united in our pursuit of God and living for him. And we want for our home to be a place where we seek the Lord together and we teach our kids how to seek the Lord as well. And it's an amazing thing to not have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about my wife going a different direction than me. I don't have to worry about my kids being conflicted on what's the right way to go? What should I believe? Should I follow Jesus or not? I can share the most important part of my identity with my wife because she shares that with me as well. And that's what we're made for. And that's what you guys can share with your spouse as well. You have the ability to choose that. 